You're listening to a Roddenberry podcast. The Trek Files, Season 11, Episode 8, Star Trek Animated, Fan Club Newsletter, 1973. Welcome to The Trek Files, a look into the archives of Roddenberry Entertainment from the personal files of Gene Roddenberry. And now your host, Dr. Trek, Larry Nemechek. Well, welcome back, Star Trek fans. Hey, all you Star Trek historians are going to love today, but anybody who's paying attention and who isn't right now, all you Trekophiles spelled with an F. Celebration time. This is actually our 250th episode. I know we number them by the season, but if you do the math... This is the big 250, and of course, when you've got a special show, that calls for a special guest. So look, if you're joining us for the first time, here's what we do. We're right there at The Trek Files on Facebook, facebook.com slash The Trek Files. That's where we stash the actual Trek File of the Week. Yes, it's not just a name. You want to go check that out because we're diving into... Here on the 50th anniversary of the animated series, we're looking at all things animated uh, series in a, in a big way. We've got a special guest to help us do that today, but first, go check out the document this week. Here's an audio sample, but you want to stick around today, and I'll be right back with this week's special guest. Lieutenant Perez the alternate communications officer who mans that station whenever Lieutenant Uhura is off duty. She is a felinoid from the planet Kate in the Lynx constellation and displays all the moves and cunning her ancestry passed on to her. First appearance, Mud's Passion. All right. This is a this is actually a document, the first newsletter for the animated Star Trek's fan club. I love how it's typed. They're just doing it out of the office there. Um, but we've, re- we've looked at this before, but not with today's guest, because as we do in the Trek Files, we love to look at the past, talk about it, and then reflect on what's going on in today's world. And who better to do that with all things animated series, and especially the return of vacations, than my good buddy, and yes, the showrunner, head producer for Lower Decks, co-creator, Mr. Mike McMahon. Mike, thank you so much for joining us today on a special day for us. Of course. Happy to join. Happy to talk animated Star Trek. Good to see you, Larry. Good to talk to you. Yeah, this is great. Well, uh, first off, I know you're busy, busy, which is a good thing. Where where are things? Can you tell us just in general where things are with uh, fifth season? I know, yeah, you're, I mean, I know just, we're lucky to have you today because you're busy, busy. Uh, <clears throat> I uh, Listen, I'm always happy to be here. I'm <laughs> happy to talk to everybody at the Roddenberry Podcasting Empire because I love all of you guys. And it's very easy to join because I don't have to prep anything. I just have to come in being my nerdy self and and it's easy to chat. Um, for season five, um, we are we are done writing it. I've got a couple notes to address on the finale. Uh, oh. I have been seeing locked animatics. Like we've been getting some of the animatics out the door off to um, go from being black and white to being uh, beautiful and, and full color. We're recording our, our beautiful and talented actors. Uh, we've got a lot <laughs> recorded already. Um, we paused during the uh, strikes uh, in order to uh, make right. sure that we recorded them. And now that they have conquered uh, the studio foes, hey, everybody at the studios, we are back to recording. Um, we're hearing really funny stuff from everybody. And uh, 
Yeah, we're we're on track for another awesome season of Lower Decks for yeah. next year. Well, we expect no less. So so that's good. That's good. Of course, the like, as I said on the Trek files, it's great to dive into these dusty pages, and a lot of times they speak to us. So I, I this is a, a a short interview they they did with uh, Gene to <laughs> on their meager budget again to promote the animated series in house. Uh, what did anything jump off that? There's a couple of things here that I especially wanted to ask you about as as reflecting toward today. But is there anything that jumped out at you from what he's saying here? Yeah, I mean, there's a lot that jumps out at me. The first thing that that jumped out was, you know, and tell me, Larry, if I got the dates wrong on this. The original series uh, aired until 69 and went into syndication, right? Right. And the first real fan convention, I think, was in 72. Although right. I'm not good at that stuff. But I You're think there. That's, You're there. I think that's right. And then... You can't under-nerd this, Mike. You're there. You know every step of the okay, way. Okay. Go ahead. And then the animated <laughs> series, I know for sure, started airing in 73. So right. I just think that the tone, you know, Roddenberry's tone here, do we call him Gene in this? Do we call him Roddenberry? What do oh, we call him? Oh, no, it's Gene. Come on. He's Gene. Gene to everybody. All right. Okay. Gene's tone in this is very careful and very protective of, of this thing that he's seen grow. And, you know, he's very careful to say, look, we're using we're using DC Fontana. We're using the original voice actors. We were really careful, you know, to make sure that we weren't going to do an animated version of this show unless it was under our control. You know, and a lot of it, a lot of the tone of this is is the same tone that I'm often striking with Lower Decks, which is when I'm talking about it, which is, hey, listen. I'm I'm being really careful here. We're doing something new and it's not going to be exactly mm-hmm. what you saw before, but at heart and with with everything we can using original voice actors like I do the same thing when when we have legacy actors on is you know we are we are really trying to give you something that's really lifting and in honor of the spirit of the thing we all love. And you know, I just I was putting myself in his shoes there because Obviously, in the in the in the years that that it was being syndicated, like he had seen it grow so much, and he had heard the fans. And you know, when he was making when he was making the original series, it was a lot of like finding what the show was, oh, and right. he knows what the show is, you know, and the fans do too. And I just think it's really interesting that he's, you know. He's bringing up the original voices are in it. That he's that he's got as much of the DNA of of TOS as he can get in there, and and he's also getting ahead of a lot of stuff. You know, mm-hmm. he's saying like, "Look, it's not going to be exactly what you've seen, but we're going to get to do cool new stuff that animation provides too." And he's he's really jumping ahead of like, "It's not for kids," you know, and and well, that's it, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, see, I mean, he's fighting a lot. To me, he's fighting a lot of demons here. One is there was actually a fa- stop me if you've heard this, but with every new iteration of Star Trek, there's a, there's ten percent of fandom thinks it's doom and gloom in the end of all civilization. Ten percent? That low? <laughs> no, actually, that's if you can do ten percent. That's I, that's what I used to call him. I used to call him the loud ten percent on anything. Ten percent of every fan, like the was, lower ten percent, yes. or yeah, like the lower left foot or something. No, just I mean the, it's, the butt area. He, you had the people that thought were convinced that this is just a sop. We're never going to get a real live action truck again because they're going to give us this and, and think we're going to be happy with a cartoon on you know. But then he also yeah. had he's trying to say, look, we're already fighting with NBC and Filmation to make the, to bust the envelope of what they're used to. It's not just a Saturday morning 
show, you know, and Dorothy was and, fighting that too. So it's, it's like he's fighting, you know, and at the same time, he's dealing with his Hollywood buddies and saying, come on, Gene, it's a dead show. Give it up. What are you, you know, what are you flailing around? Go into something fresh. And he's like, normally, normally yeah. I would, but I've got, there's something special about this where I'm not hanging around a dead carcass. Something is going to happen with this Star Trek thing, you know? Yeah. It's another way of saying it is this isn't, this wasn't a cash grab, you know, he was yes. trying to make clear. And I, and I, and I've seen people bandy that about too, where they're like, oh, they know that if they just slap something out there with Star Trek on it, <laughs> people are going to tune in. But number one, nobody knows that nobody's, you know, if they wanted to do a cash grab, they would be making wrestling. Like <laughs> lots, lots more people are going to be watching wrestling. The, you make Star Trek because you really believe in it, you know, yeah. because there's something really special to be said and something really special to do with it. And a lot of this document, a lot of this Trek file is, look, look at all the thought we're putting into this. This is not a kid's cartoon that we're just slapping it's the it's logo on. Like everybody, everybody has put a ton of thought into this and he's not lying, you know, like watching, you know, TAS, they're using, you know, shortened scripts that were, were written for the original series. Like, yes. Yeah. Detriment. Like they're doing, they're doing the same thing they did before, which I think really speaks to the power of fandom at the time and probably now. And, and stop me if you've heard this before, they were having a ride, there was a writer strike this year and a lot of, and they could do animation. They weren't violating the, you know, the contract. So they had a lot of not just original series writers, but other writers who were doing to, who were moonlighting and happy to, you know, do a half hour uh, animation for Dorothy. And you know, at the time, like I think, and now, honestly, kids animation, you know. Oh yeah. Yeah. But, People don't have quite an understanding of like every show is a miracle, right? Every show that gets made <laughs> is a miracle that it got made at all. And with kids animation, there's a lot of different ways to make it. And there's a lot of different levels of production. So, you know, what I love about the original animated series is that it had scripts. And a lot of times kids animation doesn't have scripts. It's something called being board driven. It's kind of like you might go really? back and, and read about the Marvel method of writing comic books where you tell the artist the panels you want to see, or you tell the board artist in the case of animation, what you want to see in each scene. And then the dialogue is written after, you know, and a lot of kids animation is written like that. That's where you get, you know, SpongeBob is my favorite version of that. That's why you see like incredibly hilarious sort of non-scripted physicality is kind of leading the charge on that stuff. And I think that, you know, knowing that there's some scripted and some non-scripted kids animation you could be hearing that there's going to be a Star Trek animated show and you start thinking of kids animation. You might be thinking of something that doesn't oh, even right. have a script. Right, you know? right. It's all and over the place. Yeah. You're going to get. Yeah. There's never been a Star Trek show that, that is done like that. You know, Prodigy isn't like that. Lower Decks isn't like that. Well, it's if it's a Star Trek branded show and someone's not asleep at the wheel and it's not a cash grab, which heaven forbid it ever be. But no, I mean, you've, I was thinking it's always got to be scripted first. The, you know, be the scripted, great Burton I mean, Jean's looking down on that. Yeah. And that's the, that's, that's what I think is really special about TAS, the original animated series for you, for you newbies out there is, um, you know, the, those shows could have been less complex. They could have been shorter, faster, sillier. And I think it really speaks to, you know, the, the heart and the thinking and the, how careful Gene was at the time and, and remained yeah. all of, all of his time producing Star Trek that, Gene and, that yeah. it couldn't just be a thing that you put the label on. Like it and, had to be Star Trek. Yeah. And believe me, we've seen some rejected pitches 
from folks. We've been talking about some of them, which are, you know, funny and hysterical. Well, the um, of course, he's taking an adapted show and trying to recreate it as faithfully as he can uh, for the animated here. Lower Decks, you had the universe to play with and you got to start off, you know, making creations. And one of the things right out of I know there are times you have little homages to the animated series, but the, the one that's there every week and the reason, you know, our opening sample here. So taking advantage of animation, the, the backgrounds are famous in the animated series. That's one thing they did get to bust out and be proud of and, and do. But having two alien characters they never would have been able to do on, but these would be hard to do today, much less on a 60s live action, you know, staging. Oh, yeah. Morass and uh, Eric's. Yeah. So, and we've had Edosians. I'm curious about when you were creating, um, when you were creating Lord Dex and coming up with all those millions of choices with the cast and, and just the setting and all that. What led you back to, was, was uh, having Dr. Ta'ana be Cation just to kind of an homage? The, I mean, where did that come from? You know, being the first animated series since TAS for Star yeah. Trek, you know, it was, although Short Treks might have beat us, um, I'm not sure. I, I can't remember the timeline of it, if it came out before us or not. But the, you know, I really wanted Lower Decks to feel like it was a part of Star Trek writ large, no matter what Star Trek we're talking, you know, so everything Star Trek before Lower Decks had to have an equal place at the table because the characters within Lower Decks had to live in that world. They weren't, they weren't fans in our world. They were fans in their <laughs> world, the world that exists in our world. And so I really liked the idea of having a lot of DNA from TAS in Lower Decks. So you know, you see it in design, you see it in characters we pull in, but you especially see it in Dr. Tana, who I really wanted a Cation, but to me, the funny thing to do, because Mares is like, is, is, and I've heard people call her Mares, and I actually really like that too, for some reason, but <laughs> Mares is like this kind of purring, sultry, mini-skirted Cation, and Dr. Tana is like a grouchy, swearing, right. you know, uh, bones times a million, you know, Dr. Pulaski type. <laughs> but then weirdly, even though I fought that, she does have a romance going on with Shaq. So there's just something, there's just something, you know, the Cations must have two hearts or something because they're full of love. You know? Well, I, I mean, for one thing, so did, here's what I've been wanting to ask and I hadn't had a chance. Did the whole thing with Tana and Shaq's, was that organic to the, in the pot? Was that an original thought or did that grow as, as the, the season? Went? That crew, we found that in writing. It was, you know, part of, part of Dr. Tana is she's a real dirty, you know, <laughs> like saw bones. Like she's, <clears throat> she looks at like this. She had a couple jokes in the first season that were like sort of about, about anatomy and physicality and, and were sort mm-hmm. of like sort of dirty jokes, but not really because she was a doctor in a way. <laughs> and, and then once those were in her lexicon and Shax responded positively to them, it just sort of grew from there. And I really like the pairing of them because they're both really tough, but like in completely different ways. So, so that kind right. of naturally grew from there. Well, it's another great, it's like Spot McCoy. It's like Odo Cork. It's like Dax and War, a Jedzy and Worf, like jumped off the screen. Um, what the, but there was a decision to not echo exactly Maressa's look. Donna's Cation is, which now we just say species diversity and it's awesome. And sure. I see you have more Mares looking Cations, you know, walking through. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, so it's I, not like uh, it's the change. It's it's another case of where we're just doing aliens a little. So, but I mean, something led you to to go that direction in the beginning. Yeah, I think it was. Um, you know, I really wanted Doctor Tom to look scruffy. You know, and like cats often look very different. <laughs> Doctor Tana has yes. a bobtail. Yeah. You know, I think that the I just didn't want I didn't want those design cues to kind of have this kind of like this look of the late 60s to it. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like, it looks like she was designed, you know, a little bit more modern in a way. But I, I, I still wanted her to be like the only reason we have a cat on the show is because of Maress. You know what I mean? So right. that was enough of the DNA for me that I didn't want her to stand out and look super different because honestly, like our show takes place in a completely different design ethos era of Star Trek. Right, right. So pulling in something too much like the design of, of either the Cations in TAS or the Cation you saw in, in, was it in the background of the, of the motion picture? One of the movies had a, had a Cation in it too. I think in the, uh, the Federation Council in four. In four? Was that mm -hmm. in four? Mm -hmm. Yes. Right. Yeah. Um, but either which way, uh, just wanted her to have her own singular look and design for the show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But but again, like we've seen with everything from Andorians and Klingons, not just your show, but all the modern shows, there's there's a lot. Well, I didn't just want to turn this into the Tana show, although that's that's the natural link. The one thing I wanted to say congratulations on, and, and I know every year, I know there's a little bit of the, what are they going to let me get away with this year? And I push it every year a little bit. But I got to say, what was a really a surprise, I mean, well, out of the gate, I knew people who were worried about Star Trek humor and a cartoon and all that in the beginning. I'm like, have you read Mike's lost eighth season of TNG? Do you know the humor that what got me out of the gate was the attention to detail and the art, you know, the reference and some people say just the Easter eggs. But even the most boring set in the world has a corollary in film Trek. And that's done nothing but grown to the point where this last season you're getting in this time period, you're getting to to flesh out canon like with Orion and Ferenginar. And I'm like, yeah. who expected to see all like this is this is good stuff. I mean, is that I mean, is that uh, we're going to see more and more of that um, next season? Did that just kind of organic? Was that one of your secret goals or did that just kind of present itself as you got into Tendi's background and, you know, Mariner's friends and all that? Yeah, it's funny. It's a combo of both. I always knew I wanted to flesh out Orions more. I really never was super satisfied with the Orions that control people with pheromones or <laughs> the fake Orions that we saw in the original series, especially because Orions are so, so Star Trek. They're so iconically mm -hmm. Star Trek. And it was, it was surprising to me that, that they had never been fleshed out more as much as we had seen, you know, Klingons and Ferengi and and folks like that, um, even Andorians in, in Enterprise, you know, like I loved all that stuff. Right. So I always knew I wanted to see more and learn more about Orions through Tendi. Um, I, and I was almost surprised when we went to Orion that we had never been to Orion before. Mm -hmm. Like I, I had kind of felt like we had, and it must have been from some apocrypha or a, or a novel or, some, or a comic, but, but it was, it, that was a surprise to me. So we were really careful with that. And then uh, with Ferenginar, you know, we were really just cribbing off of Deep Space Nine. Like, Deep Space Nine did so much to move our understanding of Ferenginar forward, and then especially with Ron and Lita, like, just taking mm -hmm. those characters and expanding logically what we could imagine would be going on with Ferenginar at the time. You know, there's still some, you know, some some classic unclothed Ferenginar ladies roaming around <laughs> the background shots of that episode this season. But but for the most part, we like the thought of, what are the first steps of, of joining the Federation? Like, when you're applying, right. you know what I mean? And, and 
giving Ferenginar that because we felt like post Deep Space Nine and post Dominion War and all that kind of stuff like wasn't a big wasn't a big logical leap to have that start happen. I was going to say, because you, you talk about piggybacking off what DS9 gave you, but we got, what, the inside of Moogie's house, and you got the, the matte painting landscape. And that's all there was. And you guys have, you know, gone there and, well, and more so. but also all the stories you tell with Ferengi and all the, you know, like, the many times that we they came to Deep Space Nine fills an understanding of their culture and their attitude more than we got, you know, previously with laser whips and, and sinister growling. Oh, and yes. Thank you for the yeah. return of the... <laughs> Because in animation, it can't ever, you know, go south on you the way it did the first time they brought the whips out. Yeah, I do like and, having and a good laser every once in a while. But the, but yeah, you know, we 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 kind of um, with Orion, we were working off nothing. It just just yeah. vibes. Yeah, and what we kind of thought, what we wanted to say about Tendi and other Orions, and and trying to piece that all together with Ferenginar, you know, we were almost like we were almost like archaeologists that had more of the skeleton kind of laid out. We were just adding like little fragments of, of, of bone, you know, shape to that, you know? So Orion was a bigger one. And I, I, you know, on lower decks, because we're a comedy, but because we're really trying to stick in a canon at the same time, it allows us to bend the rules every once in a while. So, you know, that's why I really like, you know, prank calling Armus. Like, do we learn more about Armus? Are we really expanding Armus on that? No, yeah. we're just getting back at a thing that made me sad when I was a kid and I have a Star Trek show. So I'm going to do that, you know, just... but, but yeah, like, like I, I really like, when Lower Decks gets to fill in the gaps that you always felt were kind of there as a fan that mm -hmm. like you, we try not to break anything. We try not to, you know, going back to Deep Space Nine, really important to do a Lower Decks episode and a Deep Space Nine episode at the same time. And you learn about Quark having kind of spread throughout the quadrant and franchising. Right. You know, right. Where, which, which we actually got from a little kind of visual gag, I believe was in Picard first, you know? So the, uh, we're always trying to build out. There's there's no amount of of world building that Star Trek can't handle. Like I love, like I mean, people don't when you when you hear people talk about Star Trek who kind of don't know about it and they're like, oh, the Star Trek universe, and you're like, well, it's actually a quadrant of one galaxy. And then when they go to <laughs> another quadrant of that galaxy, everything changes. And it's and it's but even in that one quadrant, there's so much to do. There's so much to see. And I like the idea that like. These planets exist when the Enterprise leaves or when Voyager leaves or mm -hmm. when it stops focusing, you know, and I like getting more from that. And whatever, whatever way we get that, especially on screen is just, it's just really exciting. To me. Yeah. Well, now I know season five is pretty much done or planned out, but you know, speaking of where we've not gone before, you know, there's a, there, in fact, it's a founding member of the Federation whose planet we've never been to. Yeah. 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 Um, 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 big, big boys. What are their names? Uh, the Tellarites, come on. Tellarites, thank you. Don't, don't thank play dumb with me now, Mike. Come on, you know. Hey, there's a lot to remember, okay? <laughs> See, the, but this is our game, Mike. This is emblematic. All Tellarites get no respect. I kids' names, come on. <laughs> Tellarites. You know, I, it's funny, but you know what's funny about Tellarites? I've ne I've, we've put Tellarites a lot. In well, a everything's funny about Tellarites, but go ahead. I do like, I like Tellarites, but there's not something screaming to me that Lower Decks is the place to learn a lot more about Tellarites. Oh. Like I'm almost like there needs to be another Star Trek show that has like a lead Tellarite on it that like we really start to get. Cause you know, in discovery, we've got those cool, like, you know, very creepy Tellarites. And in the short track I made, uh, the escape yeah. arc, there's a, there's a Tellarite mm -hmm. lead, you know? Yep. And I call the, those uh, the biker Tellarites, but yeah. 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 Those are tough, tough boy Tellarites. And like, 
I think that for some reason, Tellarites in Lower Decks, I often do Tellarites that are in the the in Starfleet, you know? Mm-hmm. And a Tellarite in Starfleet, you're not learning as much like from a Tellarite captain because they've been in Starfleet so long. You know, you're learning about Starfleet, but not about Teller Prime. Is that what the name is? I yeah, the, that's what's yeah. evolved into, so, right? And so, see, Larry, don't 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 jump on me too fast. I remember Teller Prime, but the uh, <laughs> you know, it, it's funny. Like it's all good. I I in my head, I have stories and myths about Orions that I don't have about Tellerites, and I don't know why. I don't know what about Tellerites. It's like it's, Orions, it's all good, Mike. I didn't. I didn't mean to guilt you out here. I mean, we know we need no, to no, know about Orion's just as much as we need to know but about. You're Teller. right. I wonder what it is about Tellerites being a founding member. But I even like I'm a pretty big fan of the franchise. But Tellerites aren't one that jump out at me as having kind of a mythological species. Well, isn't that a creative challenge? Don't you see? Okay. I mean, I appreciate you saying a new oh, series okay. needs to do it, but that's a creative challenge to me that I think Lord X is it totally is, up it is, to me. But I wonder why, like. Like whenever I grow that kind of stuff, it's almost like those little pills that you can put in water and it grows into a dinosaur sponge. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. There was something there. There was something there to oh, put yeah. in the water, oh, yeah. you know? And I'm kind of wondering, I wonder if maybe if we get another season, I wonder if it is worth digging into Tellarites and being like, what is their story? Why have I never quite paid attention to these guys? Because like, we go. EMG never did either. Was there I'm, a I'm running your season six renewal campaign then. That's that's it then. Okay. Oh, wait, we'll, was we'll make there? a deal. We'll do there, it. We'll do it. Okay. I had a we had a hash no, for a while. Time Terry, for hashtag. <laughs> was there a Terrellerite in TNG? No. What the hell? Why not? Because they had that bias against why were there no Orions in TNG? Because they had that, oh, it's original series, either we're not going to do it or it's too, you know, no, no Andorians in TNG. Orions are too sexy for TNG, but that Tellarites don't have that problem. It took Enterprise to bring them all back. Listen, Mike, this has been, I've got to let you go. This has been so much fun to geek out about. Uh, Thank you, though, for reflecting on the animated series roots. It's it's amazing. I love the animated series. Thank you guys for picking this file in particular. I love the character art that's in it. I hope everybody goes and clicks on it and reads through it. It's really fun reading something literally typed on a typewriter talking about this thing we <laughs> love so far in the future that like, you know, it, we should all have to type up Star Trek notes on a typewriter. That should be next time. Hey, CBS, next time we, I want you guys to send me a typewriter so I can type some of these up. <laughs> it's a deal. It's a deal. Hey, listen, thanks once again for helping us celebrate our 250th and the 50th of, of the animated series. It's awesome, Mike. We'll get back to work. We need that fifth season thing. I will, I will. Thanks again, Mike. Thanks, guys. Hey, The Trek Files is produced by Roddenberry Entertainment, and all of our documents and your chance to comment are available at facebook.com slash thetrekfiles. Now, for more deep diving of Star Trek behind the scenes, visit Dr. Trek and Portal 47. Yeah, that's me, at larrynemacek.com. And that's where you can also link in for all of our new Trek Files swag and shirts, too, at our Public shop. Trek well, everybody. This is a Roddenberry podcast. For more great podcasts, visit podcast.roddenberry.com.